This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. From the Podglomerate, you're listening to The Feast. I'm Laura Carlson. I'm a food historian and writer, and I'm bringing you the great meals that made history. Last season, we brewed beer with King Midas, we went to a Roman funerary feast, and we discovered the untold history of presidential cheese. Now we're back for season two, with a brand new smorgasbord of epic dinners and dining coming your way. If you're not subscribed to the feast yet, make sure you head to Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and hit subscribe today. You're not going to want to miss a meal. And today we're kicking off our first episode of Season 2 with something pretty stellar. Literally. That's Marco. Hello. Hi, Laura. Good to hear you. That's Sebastian DiMarco, founder and CEO of the German-based company Bake in Space. And what Sebastian's company is proposing is a revolutionary way for astronauts up on the ISS, or International Space Station, to enjoy one of the most basic forms of food around, bread. What you have currently is, is, a, is a kind of a, an extended camping trip um, situation where astronauts uh, have these kind of pre um, prefabricated, dehydrated foods that they are rehydrating. Um, and it's not very tasty and it's not really great. And it's, uh, you always need to have a constant supply of food just being delivered to the space station. And, and what we're trying to do is become completely self-sufficient by creating um, uh, this natural food product, bread, from scratch in, in space. Um, and the long-term goal of Bacon Space is to go from uh, to create the value chain, recreate the value chain in, in space from growing grain to creating a final finished bread product and then essentially creating this sense of home. On one level, it makes sense. Bread is the staff of life, after all. It's the thing that some historians and anthropologists suggest got early humans to settle down, giving up our hunting and gathering ways. Growing crops, milling grain, and baking bread. It's a core culinary component to cultures all over the world. On some level, it can be a fundamental reminder of home, something particularly appealing when you're floating thousands of miles above the Earth's atmosphere. Which which is exactly what uh, I would say the essence of Bacon Space comes in, because if you... uh, Bacon Space is focused on creating... um, a home away from home, so I like to say a slice uh, uh, of home away from planet Earth. But why has it taken until now to get bread to astronauts? Humans have been in space for over 50 years now. Where are all the grilled cheeses or BLTs, even a simple piece of toast for breakfast? You see, unfortunately, bread doesn't have the best track record when it comes to space travel. Some early NASA missions during the 1960s may have ruined space sandwich culture for over half a century. And if you're looking for someone in particular to blame, 
Quite a few fingers have been pointed at one prank-pulling astronaut from the 1960s, one John Young, pilot of Gemini 3. Mission all sites, it will be at T-minus 10 minutes and counting on my mark. Three, two, one, mark, 10 minutes. This is a recording from NASA's Gemini 3 mission from March 23rd of 1965. On board the spacecraft are two young astronauts, Gus Grissom and John Young. And in 1965, NASA is on a mad dash to get astronauts into space, hoping to somehow meet John F. Kennedy's deadline of getting a human being to the moon and back before 1970. The pressure's on. And America's feeling the heat, especially as the Soviet space program had just passed another milestone a few days before with the first spacewalk in history. Right now, the U.S. is in serious danger of falling behind the Soviets in the space race. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, zero. Ignition. Needless to say, during the mission, the atmosphere at the command center in Florida was all business. There are constant flight checks and status updates as Cape Canaveral talks to the astronauts. And then there's this moment. Go ahead, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were eating. Uh, what was the suit, MK? Did you catch that? Let's listen to it one more time. I'm sorry, I didn't know you were eating. Uh, what was the suit, MK? What you've just heard is perhaps the most infamous moment in NASA space food history. John Young the pilot of Gemini 3, an hour or so into the mission, apparently got a little hungry. From the pocket of his spacesuit, John pulled a corned beef sandwich on rye, picked up from Wolfie's Restaurant in Cocoa Beach, Florida. About a five-minute trip from Cape Canaveral, or Cape Kennedy, as it was known in 1965. Needless to say, Young's sandwich wasn't exactly in the mission briefing. Although the official record from the mission unfortunately didn't capture one of the biggest gotchas in space history, John was only able to enjoy a few bites before having to stow his contraband sandwich. The problem? Crumbs. Lots and lots of crumbs. Young's sandwich stunt caused quite a stir upon his return to Earth. A House of Representatives Appropriations Committee investigation was even launched, ensuring that no such food, or fun, would ever be allowed aboard a space shuttle again. And Young's ability to smuggle a sandwich on board the shuttle was one thing, but the crumbs from the rye bread on his corned beef were NASA's worst nightmare. From the beginning of space food, what is often affectionately known as the cubes and tubes era of NASA, astronauts were supplied with things that could pose as little risk as possible to the space shuttle. Now, at the time, scientists weren't even sure how the human body would react to food in zero gravity, let alone how food could damage the sensitive equipment the astronauts relied on in the shuttle. So from the very beginning, starting with some fairly bland applesauce John Glenn enjoyed on his mission in 1962, astronaut food has been carefully selected, treated, and packaged. In the early days, this meant simple foods that could be easily squeezed from aluminum tubes, no slicing, dicing, or even chewing required. But it's hard to get excited about applesauce. 
which may have motivated John Young to sneak a hearty deli sandwich on board Gemini 3. But his stunt did prove the NASA scientists right about one thing. Crumbs in space were a pain in the neck. They got everywhere. Floating in front of the astronauts, getting stuck in the instruments. It was a mess no one wanted to repeat. So from then on, anything deemed too crummy has been more or less verboten in zero gravity. Tortillas and other crumbless bread products have been the go-to carb for astronauts basically since the 1960s. That is until Sebastian and Bacon Space. The company envisions a future where astronauts not only can enjoy real bread during spaceflight, but actually, and here's the revolutionary part, even make the bread themselves, right there in space. Sebastian's long-term plans is a future where astronauts can grow grain, harvest it, grind it, make a dough from it, and bake it, all from the confines of a space shuttle or station. But if they envision a stellar future of carby goodness up there in space, the company has two pretty big problems to solve. There's the crumb issue, of course, and another key element of bread. Yeast. Basically the living, single-celled microorganism that helps bread to rise. The issue with um, yeast is related to uh, this living organism, which, uh, like fungus or mold, would then start to multiply in this very closed life uh, support system, which is the space station. Uh, we can't just open a window and um, <laughs> and uh, have fresh air just go through it. Uh, so basically what would happen is uh, yeast would then start sitting on any surface which has some element of uh, some water on it, and, and then uh, essentially uh, create um, a very nasty, unhealthy environment for the astronauts to live in. Given the major problems with both crumbs and yeast, it's understandable why fresh baked bread has been missing from astronauts' diets for years. But what's also clear from Sebastian's company and John Young's 1960 sandwich is that people crave a taste of the familiar when traveling. And given half the chance... They'll do anything to make sure they get it. Even smuggling contraband onto a space shuttle, for example. So for Sebastian and Bacon's space, it actually goes even deeper. To a love and pride for fresh-baked German bread. Its centrality to German culture and cuisine. Uh, I would say bread is, um, is a very uh, integral part of any German's uh, daily life. Uh, I would say uh, it's quite funny meeting Germans uh, abroad and uh, and then uh, um, yeah talking about our horrible experience of not having had a proper slice of bread. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's quite amusing at times, but um, yeah. So so bread is really a very essential element of um, of daily Germans' life. Uh, in Germany, there are 3,200 variations of bread. Um, uh, there's a rich history of, of bread making and a big culture around it, even to the point where um, the German Bakery Association is pushing for German bread to be um, known as a uh, world cultural heritage uh, to, 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 get, to receive that status, basically. Sebastian and his team are hard at work to make sure one of these iconic breads can accompany German astronaut Alexander Gerst on his trip to the ISS in early 2018. 
and from the thousands of German varieties to choose from, Bacon Space have focused on a humble role to debut as the first interstellar bread. In, in, German, uh, in Germany, we have something called uh, Laugengebäck. I don't know how to translate it into, uh, into um, English, but it's, it's similar to a kind of um, a pretzel dough. Uh, in Germany, it's very common to use this, this uh, pretzel dough also in bread rolls and other types of bread products. Um, but it's, it's a modified version of this um, special dough. Um, what it has is basically a, a kind of a leathery surface, which is, will not crack uh, or, or create basically crumbs on the surface, and, is, um, and has a, a soft texture on the inside, so that even that one, when you rip it, and we, we tested it already in, in, the, in the lab in, in Bremerhaven, uh, where we were just continuously ripping this bread, and I was quite amazed to see that it was not um, creating any crumbs. And it tastes very good. <laughs> the long-term goals of Bacon Space, where astronauts could one day be making their own bread on the space station, are revolutionary. But what's so interesting is how these technological advances, the crumbless bread dough, the special low-temperature ovens in which to bake it, all stem from a desire to get a literal slice of German life into space. German bread boldly going where no German bread has gone before. Because it seems it's not enough just to get humans into outer space. Our food, our literal taste of home, has to go with us too. And if we can't take a piece of culture with us into space, well, what's really the point? Food has been on the cutting edge of space exploration since the early days of the space race. While John Young's corned beef sandwich may have been the most extreme example, both NASA and the Soviet space program worked hard to get iconic foods of home into the mouths of their astronauts and cosmonauts. Sunday dinner. There's just something about Sunday dinner that makes it the best meal of the week. Maybe it's the steaming bowls of mashed potatoes and thick brown gravy. Maybe it's the tasty, tender chicken, fried up golden brown. Whatever it is, Sunday dinner is it. The best meal of the week. Only one little problem. Ever try taking it places? Like church socials, parties, or ball games? Announcing the portable Sunday dinner by Colonel Sanders. He cooks up Kentucky Fried Chicken in his kitchen, then packs it up in his handy bucket. All you do is pick it up. Imagine... The best meal of the week travels everywhere, every day of the week. Okay, Colonel, hit the road. This KFC commercial epitomizes the mindset of NASA food scientists in the late 1960s. A way to take mainstream American classics like roast chicken and mashed potatoes on the proverbial road. Well, the road to outer space. The early tubes and cubes of NASA, so unappealing they often return to Earth uneaten led to a new way of thinking about space food. A way to get all the flavors of home in zero gravity, from medium-rare steak to ice cream. The Soviets were hard at work, too, sending tinned packages of Russian classics like borscht and cabbage soup up with their cosmonauts. But one particular bone of contention that cropped up between the two space food programs actually didn't have to do with food at all, but drink. Russian cosmonauts early on could enjoy brandy and a tot of vodka in space, something that inspired no small amount of jealousy from the American contingent. 
Now, there were apparently plans on the books at NASA to send small amounts of wine up with the astronauts. You know, just a glass or two after a long day. But the American taxpayer was none too pleased when the story hit the press. After a public outcry, the plans for wine in space were officially scrapped, and the American astronauts were forced back on the teetotaling wagon for all future space flights. It was actually only this year, in 2017, that the question of wine in space was brought up again. NASA apparently is experimenting with the idea of not only drinking wine in space, but making it as well. After success growing potatoes and cabbage, NASA is exploring the idea whether it's possible to actually grow wine grapes in space. So think about it. In the not-too-distant future, you may find yourself sipping a Cabernet Sauvignon grown, made, and bottled, courtesy of the ISS. But for most of the 20th century, your dining options as an astronaut weren't so much chicken or beef, but Russian or American as far as food styles. The cuisines of both countries dominated the plates, or in this case vacuum-packed pouches, of many an astronaut, no matter what country they came from. In 1978, Vladimir Remek became the first non-Soviet and non-American in space. But, as he was traveling with an entirely Soviet crew, he had the same food choices as his Russian colleagues. The same went for the first German astronaut, Ulf Merbold, who traveled on NASA's Space Lab 1 in 1983. Despite the remarkable advances in food Space Lab offered astronauts, including the only refrigerator and frozen food ever featured in space, Ulf found himself surrounded by pretty American fare, and certainly no fresh-baked German bread. But as other countries have developed their own space programs in recent years, the desire to enjoy the tastes of home have been just as important as they were to the American and Soviet scientists. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Of the 1960s. Since 1961, 34 different countries, including Vietnam, Mongolia, and Afghanistan, have sent representatives into space. And in 2006... South Korea joined that list. They launched a nationwide search for candidates to be the first representatives of their country in space. From thousands of applications, Soyeon Yi was the lucky person to be chosen as the first South Korean astronaut. After rigorous training, she joined the international team on the ISS in 2008. She spent a total of nine days on the International Space Station, conducting experiments and a range of medical tests with the Korean space program getting off the ground, just like the Russians and the Americans, Korean scientists began to devise ways of bringing a taste of Soyanese home with her to space. And what better reminder of home than one of the hallmarks of Korean food? Kimchi, or fermented cabbage. Now, unlike the U.S.'s perpetual crumb problem with bread, kimchi posed a different series of challenges. Now, according to a long-held policy by both the Russian and U.S. space agencies, for any food going into space, it must first be free of any bacteria. 
and at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, for example, foods are irradiated, heated, and made what is known commercially sterile to make sure no stray bacteria are heading up with the astronauts. But how does that work with kimchi? Which is, after all, by definition, a fermented food. Home to millions of little lactic acid bacteria. Now, under any other circumstances, bacteria would be a no-go for space travel. There is apparently an actual worry, seriously, I can't believe this isn't made up, that cosmic rays could potentially affect bacteria in space, causing them to mutate, leading them to, I don't know, pick your favorite disaster movie, Attack of the Space Kimchi. Okay. I might be exaggerating, but beyond the whole cosmic ray mutation thing, scientists also have a healthy fear of what might happen to kimchi given all the rapid temperature changes that happens when you're sending something into space. You don't want kimchi going from hot to cold to hot again. Not only will it not make for very tasty kimchi probably, but it might even make it dangerous for the astronauts to eat. It gets worse. Warm kimchi under the right circumstances has a tendency of expanding. And if that happens on the space station, it might even expand so much that it breaks out of its pouch, getting kimchi juice all over the International Space Station. No thanks. Just like bread, scientists have had to figure out how to keep the essence of this fermented food while making it safe for life aboard a space station. Kimchi wouldn't be kimchi without the lactic acids that give it that iconic, sour, tangy flavor. And what is bread without yeast? Even wine is fermented. Fermenting foods is one of the oldest tricks in the human cookbook. Take away fermentation, and you end up with, well, cubes and tubes. Sterilized food that might be nutritious, but is hardly finger-licking good. But just like bacon space... Korean scientists, after a few million dollars in research, cracked the kimchi problem. They were able to literally have their cake, or in this case kimchi, and eat it too. While traditional NASA foods have often been irradiated to sterilize the food from bacteria, something that would ruin any traditional kimchi, scientists discovered that by adding vitamin C and calcium lactate to the product— along with a much lower dose of gamma radiation than is usually applied to space food, the bacteria in the kimchi showed no signs of mutagenesis, also known as change. Basically, it meant that scientists were now pretty confident that the lactobacillus in the kimchi wouldn't morph into some sort of alien-like creature on the ISS. So, you know, that's a win. With these slight modifications to a traditional kimchi recipe, as well as a low-level gamma radiation— Scientists produced a ready-for-space can of kimchi, which along with nine other products, including hot pepper paste and sticky rice, earned the Russian seal of approval for space travel. Kimchi and other Korean classics may have been among the more recent items to be deemed safe for space flight. But over the last 20 years, several countries have worked to make sure their cuisines have been represented in zero gravity. Take Japan, for example. In 2005, the inventor of instant ramen himself, Momofuku Ando, developed what he called Space Ram, a form of instant ramen designed specifically to accompany Japanese astronaut Sochi Noguchi's trip on the Discovery Space Shuttle. 
To solve the tricky issue of floating broth and noodles in zero gravity, Ando thickened his iconic ramen broth in order to keep it together on the space station, along with smaller noodles that could be cooked without having to boil water. But ramen was only the beginning. In 2014, the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency selected 29 new dishes as baseworthy, including new types of rice, new flavors of ramen, seaweed soup, and powdered oolong and green tea. Many of the foods Joxa is currently researching rely on the same technologies at use by NASA. With no refrigerators or traditional ovens on board the ISS, most food has to be freeze-dried or packaged as ready to eat. Astronauts must rely on rehydration stations to prepare most of their food, which adds your choice of ambient or hot water to everything from asparagus to steak to ramen to make it ready to eat. Now, this works okay most of the time, and actually comes in handy when you think of things like instant ramen or even powdered tea. But what about a fresh hot cup of coffee? Imagine being on one of the most important missions of your life, drifting through the cold confines of space without caffeine. Now, strictly speaking, astronauts have had access to freeze-dried coffee for years. But let's be honest, it doesn't really compare to a nice cappuccino or even a good pot of freshly brewed coffee, does it? And thankfully, when Italy discovered this freeze-dried situation on the ISS, they couldn't just stand by and watch this coffee crime continue. The Turin-based company Argotech, along with the famous coffee brand Lavazza, helped to develop the punnily named ISSpresso. Yep, that's what it's called, the ISSpresso. Which, along with dispensing fresh coffee, can also make tea hot apple cider, even consomme for the discerning astronaut. Even in their promotional video, you can hear how proud they are of bringing fresh, hot Italian espresso to the ISS. We are about to launch a new extraordinary capsule system that we have called ISS Presso, developed with an exceptional company, Argotech. Argotech is an aerospace engineering company, leader in the space food and Italian astronaut training sector. Italian like us, from Turin like us, together we will, for the first time, offer coffee inside the International Space Station. A real coffee, that which one drinks in a cafe, good, hot and steaming, one that the astronauts will have available. The ISS Espresso was sent to the ISS in April of 2015 along with specially designed coffee cups that meant astronauts could sip their espresso instead of slurping it through the traditional pouches. But with the success of the first coffee machine in space, Argotech upped its space food game, devoting an entire branch of the company to the research and design of space-ready food, called appropriately enough the Space Food Lab. Although most of its products are intended for use by the European Space Agency, or ESA, Earthbound mortals can also try some of their stellar inventions via their website, which is aptly titled readytolunch.com. Now, the allure of trying space food here on Earth is nothing new. Freeze-dried ice cream, or as it was billed to me as a child, astronaut ice cream, has been a food novelty for years. Although, truth be told, it was quickly abandoned as an 
actual space food way back in the 1970s. And if you've ever tried freeze-dried ice cream, you'll know why. This stuff crumbles like nobody's business. Which, if you've been paying attention, space agencies are a little more than keen to avoid. And then, of course, there's Tang, which has been playing up its space associations for decades, including in this slightly frightening commercial for the 1960s. The Gemini Space Flights. The trips are long. The training is hard, like this spacewalk practice. But the astronauts do some things you do. In space, they drank Tang. They mixed it like this in a zero-G pouch, because with no gravity, it would fly all over. You don't have that problem. You can mix it in a glass. Up there, they have to drink it carefully, this way. You can drink it any way you like. Tang tastes orangey. Tastes great. Has lots of vitamins C and A. Tang, chosen for the Gemini astronauts. Have a blast. Have some Tang. Tang actually predated the space program by several years, developed in 1957 by a scientist at General Foods, William A. Mitchell. But its moment in the sun came when it was selected to be part of the food program at NASA and was sent up with the astronaut John Glenn as part of the Gemini program in 1962. NASA's choice of Tang certainly wasn't based on its flavor, but instead how easily it could be mixed with water. Ideal for the early drink pouches of space travel. Back on Earth, sales of Tang skyrocketed, and the company, like you just heard, promoted the brand's association with NASA and the space program as much as they could. But John Glenn famously revealed, only in 2013, that he actually hated the stuff. Although most famous for its orange flavor, there were actually several varieties of Tang over the years, including grape, tangerine, even hibiscus tea. You didn't even have to drink Tang necessarily. A classic recipe from the southern U.S. used the drink mix as a base in an easy, no-bake dessert called, appropriately enough, Tang Pie. Some recipes for it even included one of William Mitchell's other inventions— Cool Whip, the low-calorie whipped cream replacement. Now, as a child of the late 80s and 90s, I remember Cool Whip was a staple in our household, particularly on angel food cake with strawberries. Hate on it if you want, but I still have some pretty fond memories of that dessert. Otherwise, nowadays the technology of space food most often can be found, not in the drink aisle, but in your local camping supply store. Freeze-dried food has found a growing market in recent years for intrepid backpackers looking for lightweight culinary options beyond the hot dogs and s'mores around the campfire. Using the same basic technology as food designed for space missions, simple dehydration, camping food companies have been able to provide an ever-increasing range of lightweight, shelf-stable food for the gastronomic hiker. When we visited our local store, we could find everything from chili macaroni to beef pho to Chinese five-spice chicken. A world away from the instant mashed potatoes or powdered eggs I remember as a kid. Although, don't worry, those were still on offer too. But with inventions like the ISS Espresso and companies like Bacon Space, 
not to mention ongoing attempts to grow and harvest crops in space. The current trend for space food seems to be a focus on the natural, trying to get astronauts' food to more closely mirror life here on Earth, rather than the other way around. As NASA and other space agencies contemplate future missions, possibly to Mars or even further, the new challenge will be to make the space shuttles more self-sufficient, which is where the planting, growing, and harvesting crops, not to mention Bacon Space long-term plans for space-made bread, come in. And with private companies like SpaceX and others getting into the space game, not to mention more and more countries developing their own space programs, the future of space food is diversifying more rapidly than ever. From growing new kinds of crops in zero gravity, to experiments with fermented foods like kimchi and wine, there are lots of opportunities out there for the aspiring space food scientist. Whether it's homemade sourdough bread or a carefully crafted cappuccino, who knows what the future of space food will be. If you'd like to find out more about Bacon Space, we'll include a link to the company's website in the show notes at thefeastpodcast.org. There you can find lots of other tidbits about the history of space food, including some videos on the ISS Presso, as well as some slightly creepy tank commercials from the 1960s and 1970s. And if you're wondering what happened to the corned beef sandwich that started it all, don't worry, like most of aerospace history, it's been properly preserved. Actually, it's been entirely encased in plastic from what I can see, and can be found on display at the Gus Grissom Memorial Museum in Mitchell, Indiana. And if you're curious about Tang Pai, or some of the other freeze-dried foods inspired by the space race, we'll be releasing an entire bonus episode of us trying these vintage space foods. Now, if you're already a Patreon supporter of the show at the $5 per month level, you'll get instant access to these bonus episodes, which we'll be releasing every month for Season 2. And if you're not a Patreon supporter yet, why not sign up today? You can find out more information about how to become a monthly supporting member at patreon.com slash feastpodcast. Want just one of these bonus episodes? They're available on our website for $5 a piece. But maybe you've made Tang Pai, or enjoyed freeze-dried eggs or chili around the campfire when you were hiking this summer. Maybe you've even seen the space corned beef sandwich for yourself. We'd love to hear all about your own food stories. Get in touch with us at our website or via Twitter or Instagram. We're at feast underscore podcast. Or maybe you're just looking for some good food facts. Why not sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is chock full of what's been going on here at Feast HQ. You can sign up today via our website. Music this week from Fabian Measures. And a huge thank you to Sebastian DiMarco from Bacon Space for taking the time to talk to me. You may have also noticed our snazzy new cover art and logo for this season. We're proud new members of the podcast network, The Podglomerate, home of some pretty fantastic shows, if I do say so myself, including the Plus 7 podcast, The Sex Rap, and Writers Who Don't Write. You can find all these shows on Apple Podcasts, as well as at thepodglomerate.com. That's all for us this week. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our next episode, where we explore how a shocking new device revolutionized the modern kitchen. Forget cooking with gas. We're heading back to the 1890s to witness the first electric ovens in history. 
It's actually a wonder we didn't all accidentally electrocute ourselves. Seriously, that was a thing. Anyway, that's next time on The Feast. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.